Welcome to part three of a series we're calling Suburban Legends. Anybody heard of an urban legend? Anybody heard one of those? You know, like for this email and Bill Gates is somehow going to send you half a million bucks or something like that, or watch out about going out with strangers because uh, they could, you could find yourself waking up in a bathtub full of ice having someone stolen your kidneys. So you know, you've heard that. And you always know somebody that knows somebody that it's happened to, right? It's like, hey, this really happened. I'm serious. Urban legends are really cool-sounding stories that just aren't true. There's also some pictorial urban legends. There's uh, this little dog up on the right there. That's a whippet, and they're like as thin as a piece of paper, if you've ever seen one. And uh, that one bought P90X and has been working out, so uh, that's not true at all. Over in the top left-hand corner, that would be like, the, that's like a nightmare, isn't it, for a house cat to... To be that big, and uh, that's that's fake. Uh, did anybody get that in their inbox? Like the world's largest house cat, totally fake. Now it would be really cool if, if they were about the size of that one that uh, is in somebody's hand down there. That's also a fake picture. Uh, fake picture with the shark uh, that's almost as big as that helicopter. That's all fake. That's uh, a legend. And then, how many of you heard several years ago, like ten or fifteen years ago, probably that a lady found a chicken head in her chicken McNuggets? Anybody hear that? All right, like three of us, good. Nobody first service ever heard of that. Um, well, that's not true either. That's totally fake. The picture's fake. It could be a fried chicken head, I don't know, but it didn't happen at McDonald's. All of those are urban legends. But there are some suburban legends that we all deal with. And this series is about exposing some relational myths that all of us deal with, either personally or you know somebody or that believes a certain thing about relationships. And we started the first week with our relationship with God and the myth that there is, you can just find your own way to God. There's more than one way to find God. That's a myth. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. And the truth is, Jesus is the way. And we believe that. Second week, our youth pastor did an amazing job talking about the value of teenagers and the myth that all teenagers are rebellious. That's just not true. There's some teenagers, maybe even in this room right now, they're going to go on and change the world and be an example of all those everybody around, to everybody around you. Did y'all hear my belly growl? Did you hear that? Somebody was laughing. I was like, oops, I heard it. I was hoping the mic didn't pick it up. Well, today, the next legend is, it's PG-13. Forgot to say that. So if, if uh, you haven't had that talk about some certain things with your child... They're going to ask you questions that you're going to have to explain, you know, because I'm going to describe some things in a few minutes, and you may have to have a conversation on the way home you're not ready to have. So after this next video plays, you have your last chance to take uh, your child out. That's totally your call, but we just rated this one uh, PG-13. Uh, there's another myth that a lot of people deal with. Check it out in this video. Well... The third relational myth is that living together will prepare you for marriage. You know, in recent years, the number of people who cohabitate, live together before marriage, has increased 1,000%. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine, and, and he said that more often than not, when people call him up and say, could you do our ceremony, could you officiate, the couple is living together or has been living together. And I have to tell you that to, to talk about this, it, it makes me uncomfortable. 
It makes me uncomfortable for two, two main reasons. Because we were putting this series together, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll deliver this one. Uh, this is the topic, and we just have to do this one because it deals with a lot of myths that people deal with. Or you've got somebody in your life that, that believes what I'm going to be talking about, and you can help them. But it makes me uncomfortable for two things, for two reasons. One... You might think I'm talking to you. You might think that when I was sitting in my office that I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get them. That'll be a zinger. And they're going to feel that one. Oh, yeah. And I was writing your name by it. I don't do that. I've never done that. But somehow, people walk up to me in the lobby sometimes and they'll say, has my wife talked to you? How did you know that? Or did you break into my email account? How did you know that stuff about me? And people feel like that what I had to say was just for them. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking into the hearts and lives of people. So I'm not, I'm not going through a message to condemn anybody or to kind of speak to one group. Of, that's not what I'm doing that for. So that's my, that's my uncomfortable feeling like, I mm, hope nobody thinks this is, you know, I'm picking on anybody. Another thing that, that makes me a little uncomfortable is, you know, you read on our website, it says, come as you are. Just come as you are. Life Point Church, come as you are. And a lot of you came because you got a flyer or you read our website or somebody says, look, our church is way casual. You just, you got to come. It's just like whoever, whatever, come on. And that's true. Come as you are because that's what Jesus Christ says. Come as you are. But you need to understand that even though Jesus accepted people where they were, we accept people where they are. None of us wants to stay where we are. And if you're ever going to live the life that God meant for you to live, you can't stay where you are. I don't care how super of a Christian you think you are. You have to change. So come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And sometimes it's like, mm, that, that, that can be a little uncomfortable because today I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to tell you black and white, right and wrong. Line in the sand, over here's wrong, over here's right. And sometimes I can feel a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to read from the Bible today. There's some Bibles going up and down the aisles right now. I want you to take one if you don't have one. If you want an extra one, you want to take one home with you. Those are free. Please take one. It's yours to keep. Life point, we believe the words in there are true, and I hope you come to that conclusion as well. In that book, the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus Christ said this, Just say a simple, yes I will, or no I won't. Living together before marriage is a big, fat, maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's kind of like the preseason. You know, in August when the preseason football starts, you're just like, that doesn't really count. And, and you know, it doesn't count. We're just going to play a few games, see if it works, see how we can get our game a little bit better, and then we're going to get serious later. That's what living together is saying. Or you've probably heard people say, I wouldn't buy a new car without giving it a run around the block first. Come on. Or how about this one? Why buy the cow when you can get the milk free? Yeah, okay. Or like my mom would say, did you hear they're shacking up? They're shacking up. Did you know they're shacking? Have you heard they're shacking up? However you say it, however uncomfortable it makes us, God's desire is not for people to cohabitate before 
marriage. But before, before we start to look down our spiritual noses at people like, can you believe they're doing that? I just can't believe they're doing that. Why don't you get a grip? Why don't you wake up? I just can't believe it. Before we look down at somebody, before you might look down at somebody and say, I can't believe they're doing that, here's something we need to understand. There's a generation of people out there today who grew up seeing the pain of divorce or living in a family when the parents should have never gotten married in the first place and having to deal with the conflict and the pain that goes on. So, you know, I can, I can understand how somebody could say, you know what, my parents divorced, that was painful, people in my family divorced, let's give this thing a try first. Let's do a test run. I mean, you, you can kind of be sympathetic to people wanting to prepare. Preparation is a good thing. Unfortunately, God's plan for man and woman to live together is not before marriage. And as good of planning as people might think it is, as wise of a decision as people might think it is, it's simply a myth to think that that will help prepare you for marriage. Now, maybe you're already thinking, man, I could have slept in today. I don't live with anybody. Don't plan on living with anybody. Jeez, got my donuts. I could have gone home. I didn't need this one. But you know somebody who does. You have influence over somebody, and you're going to be able to speak words of wisdom into somebody's life, a son or daughter or a friend, and you're going to be able to say, look, this is God's design for you relationally. So if this doesn't apply to you directly, indirectly, you can speak words of wisdom into somebody's life about what I have to talk about today. So, well, also, I'm going to ask a couple questions that anybody could ask. You could apply it to any portion of your life. Today, we're applying it to this. But these questions I'm getting ready to ask, remember Jesus' words, just say a simple, yes, I will. Or no, I won't. So if you're taking notes, you need to write these two questions down. First one, am I honestly and sincerely committed to righteous living? Am I honestly and sincerely committed to living right, to righteous living? You know, there are two standards today, the world standards and God's standards. The world standards change with each generation, with each decade, almost with each year. I mean, my goodness. I just think in my lifetime how the world's standards have changed. God's standards never change. They stay the same. Generation after generation. More often than not, the world's standards and God's standards are at odds. So we have to make a decision. Am I sincerely and completely committed to righteous living? By you, am I committed to using God's standards for my life? In the Old Testament book of Hosea, chapter 10, beginning at verse 12, it says this. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception. You have depended on your own strength. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, 33, Jesus says this. Seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness. Bring that Hosea verse back up there. See where it says you have eaten the fruit of deception? Do you realize there are honest people that you could look at right now and say, that's a good person. That person would never harm other people. They're helpful. They're a servant. They want to see their community get better. They're a good person. There are good people, honest people, who've eaten the fruit of deception when it comes to what I'm talking about today. doesn't mean it's a bad, they're bad people or you're a bad person if this applies to you. It just means you've been deceived. doesn't mean you're bad. So because good people get deceived into believing this myth, I'm compelled to talk about it. What kind of a leader would I be if I didn't? If I didn't talk about the things that people deal with in their life, what kind of a leader would I be? So I'm compelled to talk about what I'm talking about today, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if I catch a few darts. Love the pats on the back. Appreciate that. Darts come with that, time, with, with that as well. How many people in here are married? Raise your hands if you're married. All right, cool. Okay, how many people are single? Single. Single people are going, wow, dang, jackpot. You know, hey, look, it is all right to hook up at church. That's where I met my wife was at church, and, you know, it was okay. I was looking. I was looking. She was looking. Perfect, perfect place. Okay, those of you who are married, there hope to be. Those of you who are married especially. How many of you plan on cheating on your spouse? You just plan on it. You're like, dang, he wasn't kidding. This is uncomfortable. <laughs> I've done dozens of weddings, officiated them, you know, done the official part of, of marrying two people. And never, ever. As the groom got me like backstage or that little room where you're in before you walk out and the bride comes down. Never has he, you know, has he said anything like, yeah, today's going to be great, but let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit the trail after this, man. I'm going to, I'm going to get another woman. I'm going to have an affair. These things I'm saying, nobody plans that. That's not anything people plan to do. So nobody in here is like planning on cheating on their spouse. Of course not. Who would do that? In Hebrews chapter 13, it says this. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. So because you raise your hands, I know who's married, I know who's single. Who should honor marriage? Just married people? Honor marriage, don't have an affair, be good to your spouse, respect them, honor them. Just you people honor marriage? Or who should honor marriage? Everybody, all people should honor the covenant of marriage. Everybody, even single people. So you've already said you don't plan on cheating. Those of you that are married, you don't plan on cheating. Those of you who are single, I'm sure you don't plan on cheating. But it says marriage should be honored by all. So if you involve yourself sexually with someone before marriage, you are cheating on your future spouse. Because you're, 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 you're not honoring marriage. Honor marriage, keep the marriage bed pure. You have sex before marriage. You're cheating on the person before you ever maybe even meet them. 
How many people have eaten the fruit of deception when it comes to this? So it's not just sharing the same living quarters that dishonors marriage. It's the act of sex outside of the marriage commitment that dishonors marriage. And a lot of people have eaten the fruit of deception when it comes to this. And you might be thinking, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You said come as you are. This is a really cool church. And you mean you believe black and white on this issue? Absolutely. I do. The leadership does. The church does. So you draw a line in the sand? Yep. There's right and wrong. I mean, there are standards. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the consequences of not living up to those standards. But this is a myth within a myth. See, the myth is, well, we'll live together first. That'll help prepare us for marriage. Then the other myth is sex outside of marriage is just no big deal. We're, we're in love. Oh, come on. And man, he's hot. He looks awesome. How could I say no? We're so co- we've already made this commitment and we love each other. And what's wrong with going ahead and having a little bit of fun? Because that's not God's design for sexuality between a man and a woman. You've probably, I'm sure you've been to a wedding where you hear the, the, the pastor, the preacher, the priest, whatever, quote the Bible when he says, the two will become one. In Genesis chapter 2, in the Old Testament, talking about Adam and Eve, the two will become one flesh. Later on, the New Testament, several thousand years later, Jesus is talking about marriage in Matthew chapter 19. And he says, the two will become one flesh. Much later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was speaking to this church in a town called Corinth. Where they were dealing with some sexual issues in the church. And listen what he says to these church leaders who are dealing with it. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16 Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Read that with me. The two will become one flesh. Two people becoming one. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Now stop thinking dirty, all right? I'm do anything bad. Okay, boy and girl, okay? Pink and blue, all right? They meet. It's boy and girl, okay? How you doing? I'm okay, you know. <laughs> Want to go out to dinner? Yeah, that'd be great. Could I get you digits? Yeah, yeah, send me a text. And they go out. Come, stick with me here, okay? And they go out. They get to know each other. And they make out. They really get to know each other in the biblical sense. And because sex is no big thing, just everybody does it, we're big sex culture, they make the decision to become one flesh. No big thing. It's just part of the culture. Just one flesh. Now, when that decision has been made, and the two become one. Here's what happens. You heard me talk about 
the book of Genesis when it says the two will become one flesh. That's talking about marriage. That is the most extreme relationship. The highest commitment two humans can have is to commit their lives to each other in holy matrimony. Highest form. And it says the two will become one flesh. But it also talks about the lowest form of human commitment, which is paying for sex, to be, to be joined with a prostitute. It also says what? The two will become one flesh. So, if it's true here at the lowest form, and it's true over here at the highest form, wouldn't it stand to reason that anywhere in between two become one flesh, it, it's the same thing? Right? Oh, we love each other. You don't get, you're just messing up my life telling me this stuff. This is the way God designed people to relate to each other in a marriage. This is God's design to become one flesh. It's not just a casual thing. It just, it's just not like it ain't no big deal. It's not just something physical. Because you know what happens? When this ends, and if we had time, you could pro- some of you could probably tell me stories about this. When this ends, and the, separation become, and the separation happens, the relationship's over, it's Saturday morning, and the one-night stand is finished, and you became one flesh, now you're not anymore, look what happens. Little pieces of you get left behind. And it's, as much as I tried, if I tried to separate these two colors, it can't, I can't. I just can't do it. Because the two were one. And little pieces get left behind. And the reality of just this illustration may make you feel like somebody just drove a knife into your heart. Because maybe you messed up this way. Maybe you became one before God's ideal happened in your life. And now you're two and little pieces of yourself got left behind. See, sex is not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It doesn't just involve people's body parts. It involves your soul. That's what God says about sex. It involves our souls. And you might say, I do it all the time. I don't have any problem. Well, the nerve endings of your soul have been seared because sex is a spiritual thing. And like I said, first service, teenagers, listen to me. When you put your hands on somebody else's body, you're not just touching their body, you are touching their soul. You can go by Walgreens and pick up a condom that will protect you from disease and pregnancy. But they do not make a condom for the heart. That's why two becoming one in its ultimate design is for the covenant of marriage. So marriage should be honored by all. Married people and single people. Now you might be thinking, great, you're a pastor. Of course you're going to say that. I would expect you to. Listen to what the world has to say about cohabitation and sex before marriage. So don't eat the fruit of deception when it comes to this myth within the myth. 
Here's some extra biblical facts. 33% of Christians cohabitate. 51% of non-Christians cohabitate. 80% of cohabitating couples will break up. 80%. 1 in 25 women who did not cohabitate will have an affair. It's even higher for men. 1 in 5 women who do cohabitate will have an affair. 1 in 5. And that one's higher for men too. Cohabitating men... Guys, you're 62 more times likely to abuse. And cohabitators are twice as likely to divorce. But I have to tell you, sometimes it works. I know people who lived together before marriage, and it worked out. They got married, it worked out, they've been married for 20 years, but they would be the first to tell you that's not ideal. Because you put yourself at a dishonorable disadvantage when you choose to live that lifestyle. You just do. And you might make it. You might get through it, and you might get married, and it might work out. And 20 years later, you would say, yes, it worked out. But you would be beating the odds. So why put yourself at that kind of a disadvantage? Just because, well, we're committed in our hearts, and it feels right, and I love him, and and he loves me, and it just feels right. We're saving money. We're going to save some money first, and then we're going to get married. All that might have an appearance of wisdom on the surface, but listen to what Proverbs 14, 12 says. There's a way that seems right, but it ends in death. It's a big deal. It's a big deal for two to become one flesh. First question was, am I honestly and sincerely committed to righteous living? Second question is, am I ready for a righteous commitment? Marriage is second only to my commitment to God. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Living together leaves the back door open. Leaves you with options. Hey, in the name of options, let's live together. We were going to do a cohabitation ceremony for this series, but we didn't have time to get it done. The ceremony would have gone something like this. I'll live with you as long as it works out. Hold you responsible for half the bills, have sex whenever I want, and let's just see if it works. I now pronounce you, you know, whatever. All of my young life, I grew up around church, never believed in the whole thing when I was young and a teenager, never bought into it in my early 20s until... Pretty early on in my 20s, I did finally wake up and buy into the whole thing and and realize who Jesus was. So growing up, my mom tried, my grandparents tried really hard to talk to me about, don't have sex, don't do that. But that's all they would say, don't do that. Well, they didn't want me to do anything else that was fun, so I just figured, you know, that was in the same category, so what's the big deal? You know, that's my mom, my grandparents. Of course they don't want me to have any fun. I wish they would have explained why. I wish they would have explained to me as a young teenager, this is why you don't join yourself with another person that you're not married to. This is why you save yourself for the person that you're going to marry. They never explained why. They just said don't. And you know what saying don't to a kid does? It makes them want to do. In biblical marriage, there's two covenants that are being made. The covenant uh, between the couple and then the covenant before God. 
The Hebrew word for covenant, you read the Old Testament about a covenant, the Hebrew word is, is the word berit, which literally means a cutting. And when Jesus Christ was talking about marriage in the New Testament, anytime you heard him talk about it, this is the mental picture he would have had in his mind. When a couple wanted to get married, they would go before the priest and they would have a ceremony much like you see today. But in that ceremony, the priest would seal this brit with a cutting. And he would take out his knife and he would push the knife into the palm of the groom until blood started coming out. And then he would push the knife into the palm of the bride until blood started coming out. And he would take their hands and he would put them together and they would clasp hands and he would take a rope and he would tie it around both hands together and they would, the priest would take their hands, he would lift them up, hold up their hands and he would say, what God has joined together, man must not separate. And they would make that covenant to God publicly in front of their friends to say, the two of us are now one. He is in me, she is in me. They would say that to each other, and the priest would say what God's doing together. Man must not separate. Then they would go off for the honeymoon, you know, the really fun part. And they would consummate the marriage by having sex, and privately they would become one flesh before God. So publicly they made that commitment, and then privately they made that commitment. Sex is a holy thing. And the world, our culture, has cheapened it into something that's just for fun and recreation. And I think it's time people say, no, that's not what it's about. It's a holy thing. And I hope, parents, that's what you tell your kids. If your kids aren't involved in our teen ministry and hear what they talked about, that's what they talked about over the last several weeks. They missed out. They missed out on writing a letter to their future spouse. They missed out on the opportunity to get a purity ring. They missed out on those things. It's not too late. You can still do it. Just call our youth pastor and say, hey, I need to get that material from you. Because sex is a holy and righteous and godly thing. It's not just about gratification. It's a myth to think it's no big deal. I read a pastor who said this, the evil one uses the power of sex to tear people apart, and he does it in two primary ways, by doing everything he can to get unmarried people to have sex and married people not to have sex. Guys are like, oh, the pastor said. You know. <laughs> Listen, don't eat the fruit. That was an inside thought. I don't know why I said that. Don't eat the fruit of deception when it comes to this. Don't. Because what you're going to find yourself being is a person who has little pieces of yourself left behind with somebody else. And as I talked about this today, you may have continued to sink deeper and deeper in your seat going, oh, I've messed up so bad. How can I bend that stupid over and over and over again? Well, let me give you a 30-second talk about guilt. Guilt is good to the point of change. After that, it's useless. You're not designed to live in guilt. If you feel guilt, that's because you need to change. Don't live in it. God didn't design guilt for you to live in it. So if this is you, listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
before you allow yourself to walk out of here feeling guilty, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That means that spiritually you can become whole again. Jesus Christ can restore your virginity just like it never happened. But he's the only one that can do it. You can't do it. So don't walk out of here feeling guilty. Feel guilty just to the point of knowing that's why you need to change. But change. Let him make you new. Let him refresh you. Let him make you brand new as if that had never happened in your life. And you can start over again being the kind of person sexually that God wants you to be. Matthew 5, verse 37. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. So are you ready to stop eating the fruit of deception when it comes to this? Make a righteous commitment. So if you've messed up, and you're not married, and this is you, you can be made new again. God can separate the colors. You can't. But through Christ, He can. Now, as a teacher, it's not good to present a problem without presenting a solution. And they're probably in this room, I don't know, so I'm not thinking of any one couple in particular. There's probably people who are living together. And if that's you, have I got a deal for you. You're going to love this. And you're going to laugh. This is serious. So I told you the problem. And you're probably like, dang, I really should have stayed home. I'm really feeling bad. Here's the solution. Number one, if you are living together, you got to listen to this. One of two options you need to consider today. Number one, move out. Men, let me speak to you because I am one. Honor the woman that you say you love and move out. Ladies, same thing. Honor, respect the person you say you love and move out. Stop putting them in a situation that is outside of God's will for their life. Move out. In the book, Living Together, Myths, Risks, and Answers, the author, Michael McManus, says, Given the fact that cohabitating couples are more likely to divorce than those who remain apart, there's no more important step than that cohabitating couples can take toward a lifelong commitment than moving out. No more important step you can take towards a lifelong marriage than moving out. So here's, here's my promise to you. If you'll move out, we'll help you. I'm not kidding. The LifePoint moving crew will show up at your house. If you can't afford to rent the truck, we'll rent the truck for you. I will help carry your couch. I honestly will. And we will help you move out. That's, just, that's one of the solutions that you need to consider today. The other solution, get married. Really honor that person. Some of you are ready for that. Get married. Do it. And if you're willing to do that, this is what you get. The LifePoint wedding package. And I, it might sound funny, but this is true. We will, we will do it. Please take me up on it. You get, you get a few things in the LifePoint wedding package. Number one, you get four premarital counseling sessions because everybody needs that. And if you didn't have that, you're probably saying, yep, he's right. It would have been nice to have some premarital counseling. Even in the healthiest of relationships, you need to do that. Another thing you're going to get, you're going to get a free wedding cake. You're going to get, oh, see, this is good stuff now. Come on. You're going to get a free wedding cake. You're going to get your pictures taken. 
And I will, Mark will, any of the other pastors you want on staff, we will officiate your ceremony and you will stand before God and you will make a commitment that what man's joined together, that what God's joined together, man must not separate. And the two can become one flesh and make that commitment to God in a God-honoring, holy, spiritual, righteous way. And I'm serious. Take me up on it and watch and see if it doesn't happen. I can't wait to tell the stories of people who get married because they were motivated today to take the next step and live the kind of sexual life that God wants them to live. Do it. Hosea chapter 10 says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness upon you. Let's pray. God, it is amazing to see your plan for our relationships. And Father, many of us have, have messed up, made mistakes, and, and become one flesh with somebody that we never should have. And God, if, if someone here today is dealing with the guilt from that, may you release them from that. And may they never feel that guilt again. But also, may they, may they make that righteous commitment to honor the covenant of marriage before they're ever in it and then after they're in it. We praise you, God. And I pray for people, if there's people here right now that are living together, that they have an interesting conversation on the way home in the car and that they would take us up on our offer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.